Welcome back, everyone, to Season 3 of Death Holler, Slasher Season. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and psychotic mother figure, La Urena. What kind of mental torture are you putting those poor children through today? <laughs> Whoops. Better turn on my mic there. <laughs> uh, well, if I were able to keep the souls of the children, I would constantly be reminding them what history cannot debate, and that is that mother knows best. Well, that's clearly the case if this movie ever proved anything that we're going to discuss today. Um, <laughs> uh, now, there's a there's going to be a debate about what makes a movie a slasher. Uh, we're going to try to stick to the tried-and-true formula, a seemingly indestructible serial killer, usually driven by revenge, stalks and kills those unlucky enough to cross his path, and is eventually put down by a determined and pure, quote-unquote, of heart, final girl. Uh, not every movie this season is going to fit into that mold, but we're going to, but the majority should, and we're going to try to stick to the ones that most people know about. So hopefully there won't be too many people crying foul that we, we, we did not pick the, the definition of a slasher. Well, and the thing uh, is we, too, is you have to start somewhere. That's true. And starting out, we thought that it'd be a good idea to revisit some of the films first that form the foundation for what is now known as the slasher instead of just jumping directly into them. I mean, I, I know there's going to be people off the bat. Where's Jason? You know, where's Leatherface? You know, they're, they're, they'll be here. They're, you know, they're coming up. It's just, you know, there's, there's a section of movies that formed what they call the proto slashers that I feel like is important to cover before we get into all that. Yeah. Um, and with that in mind, we're going all the way back on this episode to one of the most infamous and classic horror movies of all time. The 1960s serial killer movie that crawled so that Jason, Freddie and Chucky could stalk <laughs> this movie. We're, we're staking out a vacancy at the Bates motel and discussing Alfred Hitchcock's psycho. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate if you could take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Also, consider following us on social media. You can find us on TikTok and now Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Attack those bees. <laughs> What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Out of my eyes! It's been too long since I've heard that. Um, <laughs> this episode of Tag of the Bees, we're covering the movie Spider Baby, or also known as The Maddest Story Ever Told, which came out in 1967. Written and directed by Jack Hill with music by Ronald Stein made on a budget of $65,000 US and made a box office of 40 million. So Jesus pretty good Christ. Turnaround. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> uh, most people haven't. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Cause I think this one's worth checking out for people. Uh, principal players. We have Lon Chaney jr. Yes. That Lon Chaney jr. Who plays Bruno, the caretaker to the Mary children. And he is also their enabler. He is known for the, being the Wolfman. I mean, that's what anybody in horror would know him for. Uh, he was also in uh, The Ghost of Frankenstein. He subbed in for um, uh, uh, Boris Karloff at that point whenever he wanted to swap, uh, stop doing those movies. 
and he was in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, of course, as the Wolfman again. Uh, we have Beverly Washburn playing Elizabeth. She is the oldest sister and the instigator of the Merry Children. Uh, she was in Old Yeller back in the day. Talk about a traumatizing movie. <sighs> and tons of TV, including the OG Star Trek. We have Jill Banner playing Virginia, who is the titular spider baby of the uh, that the movie's about. Uh, she was in Dragnet and a few other shows after this. We have Sid Haig playing Ralph, the oldest child, most likely to reenact the Hills Have Eyes of the three children. And everybody knows him now as Captain Spaulding. And there's a reason for that, and I'll get into it, but I'm pretty sure that Rob Zombie saw this movie and based his whole entire directing and writing style after this movie. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, he was also, uh, Sid Hay was also in Bone Tomahawk, which is a great weird Western movie with Kurt Russell. Uh, and he was in Hatchet 3 and in Lords of Salem from Rob Zombie. Okay. We have uh, Carol Carol Omart playing Emily Howe, the distant cousin to the Marys. Uh, likes to dress up in fancy lingerie for absolutely no reason other than the fact that, you know, they wanted to show some tits and ass in this movie. And she's kind of a bitch. Um, Aren't we she all? She was the, well, she plays the type because she was also uh, Vincent Price's wife in the original House on Haunted Hill, the one that I was referencing earlier. She was the one that was uh, cheating on him and, you know, was planning his death in that movie. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yet another character she played in a movie like this where she was basically a bitchy hoe. That's, that's <laughs> what she got typecast as. And she was in another movie called The Scarlet Hour, which is kind of a neo-noir type movie. Um, we have Quinn uh, Redeker playing Peter Howe. He's Emily's brother, easygoing but naive, and he's the narrator of the movie. Uh, starts out the film. He's probably one of the he, – he's the typical, like, late 50s, uh, you know, just smiling face type actors or whatever. Actually, I mean, got charisma to spare in the movie. I got to give him that. Um and then we have Mary Mitchell playing Anne. She's his secretary in the movie, kind, and she's just there to look pretty. They <laughs> threw another good-looking woman in the movie. Uh, Mary Mitchell was in Dementia 13 with a script writing, uh, and, and she was uh, involved with a script and writing and continuity on films such as the 1992 Dracula. So she stopped acting after a certain point and just worked on scripts for mo- other movies. Wow. And then we have a uh, Carl Shanzer playing Schlocker, who is a scumbag lawyer that's trying to bring the Hitler stash back in the style. So you can imagine that the short little uh, fat guy who likes smoking long cigars and has a Hitler stash. That's that's a good look. All right. Not really. <laughs> um, he was also in Dementia Thirteen and in a movie called Bloodbath. So synopsis for this movie: a narrator tells a story, and that's Peter. Uh, of the end of the Mary family and the eradication of the genetic disorder they carried, a disorder that starts around the uh, age of 10 and causes an extreme form of mental retardation, which ultimately leads the victims to become murderous cannibals. The three Mary children, Ralph, Elizabeth, and Virginia, are the last known carers of this condition and are kept away from the public by their caretaker, Bruno. Everything is going mostly okay with them. I say mostly because they do occasionally slip up, and, and Virginia uh, plays a spider baby or plays spider with some of her victims and ends up killing them. She throws <laughs> a, a net over them and, you know, her web, quote-unquote, and then stabs them with a couple of knives. But um, 
uh, mostly people are kept away, but uh, this arrangement falls through when their distant cousins and their lawyer lay claim to the Mary estate and pay a visit to the household. Oh, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> which is the rest of the movie is Bruno just trying his best to keep the peace, knowing that the children are just dying to kill everybody in the house. That's not part of their little clique. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Gothic sensibilities give way to incest, cannibalism, murder, and lots and lots of spiders, human and otherwise. So, the reason I bring this movie up, first of all, it's in black and white. So it, it fits like Psycho does in that sense. It's, you know, the, one of the last of those types before they moved on. Um, it is also, it has, it features a scene in it, interestingly enough. I, sometimes these movies just click, and I, it surprises me whenever I, I throw them on here that they match up with the main movie. But there's a scene in it where Virginia is, uh, she goes to visit her father, who's already been established to have been dead. He died of Mary syndrome or whatever. But, of course, he's in the bed in pajamas, his skeleton is, and, and you know, the kids go in there and say goodnight to him <laughs> and all that. So they're keeping a dead family member in the house in, their, in, in, in that person's bed, just like in Psycho, which was made after. So I'm sure that was like a throwback to that. Oh, my God. Um. Sid Haig, the, 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 he doesn't really have any, he doesn't say anything in this movie, but like all of his facial, uh, you know, like or, you know, expressions that he makes are all the stuff that would later be brought up that you would see in Captain Spaulding, just the like, you know, this like wicked type, you know, yeah. like he, he's, uh, you know, charm that he has to him. And, uh, between that, you know, and the fact that it's Sid Haig between both movies, that and House of a Thousand Corpses, and the fact that this is a family of psychos that eat people. I mean, I know that Texas Chainsaw is another influence on House of a Thousand Corpses, but I guarantee you that the fact that uh, not, and, and Lon Chaney Jr. is in this too, so, you know, uh, Rob Zombie was big into the Universal Monster movies. There's no way in hell he's not seen this movie, and that didn't inspire, at least to some extent, House of a Thousand Corpses, and I encourage everybody who can go out and watch, I think it's on Tubi is where I watched it at, Spider Baby, to go out and check it out and, and prove me wrong because there's a lot I, there's a lot there that kind of clicks. Hmm. So I, I think that it I think that it was something that Rob saw at some point, and he's like, I like that. I like these weird inbred, <laughs> you know. And, it, and this is set in uh, the hills of California, so it's not like it's out in the middle of, you know, uh, you know, the South or anything like that. I mean, this, you know, these, these inbred psychos are right in California. <laughs> Good God. Uh, uh, there's palm trees in one scene right outside the, oh. uh, Mary's house. <laughs> They're like, let's make this California. Let's throw some palm trees. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting. It's it, the reason I threw this in here was this is definitely a transition movie. I mean, it predates uh, chainsaw, and but it has a lot of chainsaw, a lot of the same stuff from Chainsaw, the cannibalism, the the family that that murders people, um, and it's one of those and and there's a lot of callbacks to stuff. I mean, like there's a scene in it where Peter where they're at a dinner table and they're eating like grass. I mean, literal grass that's pulled up because uh, Bruno mentions the fact that if these children eat meat, that, that somehow hastens Mary syndrome, like protein does. So they have to be kept on a vegetarian oh diet. My God. Um, That'll make me go murderous. But they're sitting there, and they're and and it looks like uh, Virginia's eating like pure, just outright spiders at the time. Like she's eating bugs. 
but uh you know hence spider baby again but anyways they're sitting around the table and uh there's a scene between Anne the secretary and peter and they're like kind of bonding at that moment and they're and he's asking her it's like are you in the scary movies and she's like oh i love horror movies all the classics you know frankenstein dracula oh and my favorite's the wolf man and of course you know she's got lon cheney sitting at the end of the table from oh her, yeah and he looks up and he quotes a scene from the movie, something about, you know, the, the moon is out and, you know, there's danger tonight or whatever. And they all kind of look at him and it, it's basically like his hint at the, you know, for them to get the fuck out of the house before they get killed. But it's also a callback to the old Wolfman movie. So there's a lot of the payback to all that stuff in it. Hmm. Um, it's also during a time when uh, Lon Chaney Jr. was chronically just drunk off his ass. And you can tell in the movie I mean, he does a great job acting through it, and you. But I mean, and it might even add to the character because this character is just like he's at his wits' end trying to keep these kids, you know, from murdering people and being taken off to a home somewhere. But like the fact that he's drunk and like you know he's got the flop sweats from like just being you know cr- you know and all that through the whole movie, it fits. It the just flop you know, sweats. Damn. Yeah, it's just you know. <laughs> Uh, he looks bad. That's what I'll just put it that way. But um, highly recommended Nick Cage patented rating on this one. And just because I watched this movie recently, I'm going to give it the rating of unbearable weight of massive talent because both movies are good in their own right. Uh, they don't take themselves seriously at all. In fact, I'm going to throw this out there for unbearable weight. There's a scene at the end of the movie where Nicholas Cage is talking about a belt buckle that somebody gave him, and he goes so far as to say, he's like, yeah, they wanted it to be bees, and, you know, he said, but I thought that a tarantula would fit better. So call back to the attack of the bees. You got, you got to throw that out there. But anyways, uh, but both movies have a wink and a nod at the audience at the more extreme moments. Uh, like this movie, literally when, uh, there's a couple of like the aunt and uncle to these children are still alive and they're tra- and they've been locked in the basement. They break loose and they basically start just immediately eating, uh, uh, Peter's uh, sister, Carol Omar's character, and right whenever they start to eat her, like it does a quick cut to the kids, they look directly at the camera and give this like, oh shit, what are we going to do? Kind of smile. <laughs> and, then, you know, so the movie's like winking at the audience. It's like, there you go, you know. So. That's so cheesily horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what year did that come out? Uh, 67. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, really surprising for that time uh, in in history before uh, all the uh, religious movies came out in the seventies, so, you know, the Omen and all that stuff. So, um, but moving on, I was renting the Psycho movies at Video Smash Up when Donnie G mentioned a special Psycho movie that they kept in the back room. I'm sure curious he I, did. <laughs> curious, I asked him what made it so special. I wish I hadn't. Here's what he had to say. And now, it's time for another episode of I Think I Downloaded the Wrong Movie. Hello all of you filthy animals, it is Donnie G, and today we are going to be following the Psycho theme, and I am going to be reviewing the official Psycho parody. Top players are Sarah Vanilla, Ryan McClain, and Cagney Lynn 
Carter. The scene breakdowns are a two-guy, one-girl three-way, a voyeur peeping Tom, a very brief spanking scene, a one-on-one femdom, a regular one-on-one, another one-on-one, and then another one-on-one. Now this film, the first half almost mirrors the original 1960 classic, uh, except for all the fucking fools. Uh, it is two hours long with seven separate action scenes. Uh, so if I were to sit here and break each one down shot for shot, I would need my own show for that. Uh, but what I am going to say is that it covers multiple genres of porn. Uh, the costume designer is great. I have always been of a fan of that 1960s fashion. And if you are a fan of the high thighs talkings, dude. <laughs> This film, I found it on xhamster.com, and at the time of this recording, it had 149,000 views with 538 upvotes and only five downvotes. Uh, IMDb with 28 votes, they have it at 6.5 out of 10. Me, I'm going to give it a 3.7 out of 5 eggplants. Now, don't mistake my ranking. As far as porn concerned, it is good. It starts out really strong, but after the famous shower scene, uh, the direction of the story, it doesn't go anywhere. It just trails off with no real conclusion. And that's it for me, people. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Uh, the show is Death Holler Podcast. And me, you can find me at Big Bald M-F-E-R on Instagram and TikTok. And until next time, friends, go for yourself i i don't i don't even know <laughs> like what does I she mean, get stabbed you, you take, with in the shower scene yeah that yeah what is she getting stabbed with in the shower scene it you take a movie that's a sexually charged is what psycho is begin with i knew that this was going to have to be just the full-blown like you know the the I mean, no holds barred movie when it comes to that stuff. Cause I mean, it's playing right into the whole thing. To begin with. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Let's move on to the main movie discussion. Shall Let's we do it? <laughs> oh God. What's that? <laughs> Are you getting attacked in the shower right now? <laughs> uh, in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, we're covering the, the Psycho from 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Joseph Stefano, who did the screenplay, and Robert Block, who did the novel that the characters are based upon, although we'll get to that. It's not a true representation of the novel, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah. Um, music by Bernard Herrmann, who gave us that great little piece that you just <laughs> heard played right now amongst others in this movie. I actually love the theme song for this movie. I, I really do. I think that it's a great theme for a, for a movie. It, it gives that anxiety inducing feel to it. Yeah. Um, principal players in this of course, Anthony Perkins plays Norman Bates, mama's boy, sexually repressed serial killer, mother killer, and cross dresser, uh, which I'm sure people nowadays would have a big issue with. Um, he was in all the Psycho sequels, uh, not the remake, of course, but uh, in a movie called Edge of Sanity, uh, where he plays kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type character. 
and in a movie called Daughter of Darkness, where he, uh, where he's like a vampire and he's like trying to uh, help his daughter out, who's also a vampire or something like that. I think's the nature of that one. Um, we have Janet Lee playing Marion Crane or Marion Samuels, as she writes down on the the ledger at the hotel or motel. Uh, she is the morally questionable bachelorette in a search for a husband. She is a thief and one of the first true squ- scream queens uh, and that gave birth in real life to another scream queen. God, one uh, that's still alive. covered on this. Yeah. The ultimate scream <laughs> uh, queen. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis um, is her daughter in real life. Um, we, she was in the fog that we've already covered, uh, with her daughter in Halloween H2O with her daughter and, uh, the original Manchurian candidate, which is 1962. And in a movie called touch of evil from 58, we have John Gavin playing Sam Loomis, fuck boy, lover to Marion and eventual husband to Lila. Boy likes to keep it in the families. All I can say, um, and uh, he was in Spartacus, which was the same year as Psycho. Both of them massively uh, hits for uh, the studios that produced them. And uh, funnily, funnily enough, he's in a movie called Keep It in the Family. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. Well, I mean, he, he, he fucks Marion. Uh, she dies, and then he hooks up with her sister, Lila, and then marries her later. That's what the continuity of the Psycho movies established. Yeah, so. that's... Okay. If you think about it, that's uh, <laughs> modern human history, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of that that happens, yeah. Maybe your um, ex specifically. We, no, I'm talking about, <laughs> if you go back 200 years, that was protocol. Oh, God. There was a uh, thing in the past uh, past where brothers had to take care of their, like, deceased brother's wife. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm forced to take care of my dead brother's wife, guess what I'm going to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> This, you're going to have to come up with a payment plan. Oh, you have nothing to pay with? He's going to need a dowry. Um, we have Vera Miles playing that sister, Lila Crane. Uh, she is the, a pseudo-final girl, uh, almost victim, and the almost victim of Norman slash Norma Bates, uh, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if she, if she goes by Norman. She don't actually go by any name in the first movie. It's just the mother. No. Mrs. Bates. Um, she goes by Mrs. Bates. Well, I mean, I mean but yeah. she doesn't have like a first name in the movie. Uh, they kind of established Norma in the TV show, which we, we can kind of discuss a little bit if you've all seen any of that. But, so creative. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have a name. How about Norma? Well, I mean, that's what they did. Uh, she did reprise her role many years later in Psycho 2, uh, and she was in the original movie, uh, um, the man who shot Liberty balance, which is kind of a Western. That's, That's a uh, good, very movie. well known. Uh, we have Martin Balsam playing detective Arbogast hired to find Marion and return the money, a victim to Norman slash Norma and has a laughable death. We'll get into that, but mm. he was, he was in a, a movie called the silence of the hams with uh, Dom DeLuise, I think was the one that put that, that out a while in like the eighties or something. I like remember that. that one. Uh, two evil eyes and death wish three. I don't Char- poor Charles Bronson. If he doesn't have family members that are getting raped, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have anything really that, I mean, it's that and killing folks. That's all he has in those movies. 
Um, we have John McIntyre playing Sheriff Al Chambers, the local town sheriff, which and absolutely fucking terrible at his fucking job. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he's a good guy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it, his mom ended up dead due to poisoning, but nothing yeah. suspicious about that at all. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> Uh, he was in Turner and Hooch, the rescuers and cloak and dagger with a young Henry Thomas, which is appropriate because young Henry Thomas is also, uh, would go on to play. Uh, I mean, he's been on the show previously. He was in all those Mike Flanagan movies that we, we discussed and then the haunting, uh, you know, uh, TV show. But, um, Henry Thomas played a young Norman Bates in psycho four. So there you go. A little bit of connection there. Um, uh, and we have some more before we get into the actual show about Ed Gein. I don't know if you want to cover that real quick and kind of discuss why that's appropriate for this this podcast. I'll give it a wiki wiki break it down because ultimately what it comes down to is Ed Gein. I always thought it was Ed Gein for some reason, but whatever. Tomato, potato, you know, you get it. <laughs> he basically is the inspiration of Norman Bates, and I did not know this. Now. I should have put it together immediately when you texted me and was like, hey, will you like to do a little bit of, you know, it's following up on some Ed Gein. And I'm like, sure. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, oh, serial killer, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> uh, he was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, which, I mean, technically Psycho doesn't get like a butcher, or some kind of cool serial killer name. Uh, they no. didn't really know he was a serial killer anyways till towards the end of the film. So I guess that's why he didn't have a cool name. Uh, did no one care to look for those missing two women? It's supposed to be hinted at that when they're dredging the uh, swamp or whatever at the end of the movie and they're pulling the car out that, they're, that they find the the remains of the other two women that, that Norman killed in the movie. Oh, okay, we'll just put that together. Uh, <laughs> Ed Gein, I think they also mention it in the, the sequels. You have okay. to keep watching to kind of get that. Okay, so. I'll give it that. Um, but Ed Gein was also known as the Plainfield, Plainfield Ghoul. Um, he was basically an American murderer. But primarily body snatcher. I guess he was one and the same. Um, yeah. uh, his crimes that were committed in Plainfield, Wisconsin, gathered widespread notoriety in nineteen in the nineteen fifties, so late nineteen fifties, literally years before Psycho came out. Um, he had exhumed corpses from local graveyards and basically made trophies and keepsakes from their bones and skin. Um, As you do. Yes. I mean, like, why? I mean, well, I guess there is that serial, not serial killer. He's not even a killer. Uh, this one guy, I want to say in Germany, that basically exhumed corpses and made dolls out of them. Oh, great. There's also that. that that's what you need. Yeah. They get haunted, haunted dolls right there. But anyways. They, they were his friends, apparently. Um, so he also confessed to killing two women. Uh, a tavern owner, and a hardware store owner. Now, the funny thing, or well, not funny thing, but the thing about those two women being brought up is, ironically, when you're watching Psycho, it's the one thing that snapped when I had kind of done this reading on Ed Gein, is that for some reason in Psycho, they just randomly bring up, oh, by the way, did you know about two other missing women? And it just so <laughs> happens that in Psycho, Norman Bates has confessed, excuse me, Norma Bates has confessed <laughs> To killing two random women that had never been found, and Ed Gein also uh, was known for that. Uh, just real briefly, because apparently I did not know he was also the inspiration of other 
movie killers or slashers. So I'm going to throw out a few things, a few highlights of some of the things that were found in his home. Uh, Aside from the standard human bones, um, he had a waste basket made of human skin. Hell yeah. Uh, human skin covering several <laughs> chairs, so not leather so much, but human skin. What do you I mean, think the market price of that is? Well, first off, I would not own something like that. Yeah, who says you have to tell them it's made out of human? That's disgusting. <laughs> this is the finest handmade leather. Is that hair? <laughs> it looks like an ass crack sewn together I'm with butt sure hair. I'm pretty sure if he's taking the effort to tan the hide and stretch the skin, there ain't going to be any hair on it. Oh, my God. Is that probably. a tattoo, though? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. It looks like that painting of that woman on the wall that looks like your wife. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) Um, I thought this was cool skulls on the bedpost. I'm sorry. That's cool. (laughs) I don't don't want human skulls on our bedpost, but. You know what? You can't get mad at a craftsman for doing an honest day's work. That is not an honest. Well, I guess. (laughs) He didn't kill. You're gonna tell all me there people. wasn't a ton of effort into making the skulls clean and mounting them on the edge of a bedpost. It depends because God he also damn. exhumed bodies, so they might have already like flesh might have already been falling off. This of guy could have taught a class at a college. <laughs> high school teacher is high school shop. <laughs> what type of shop? That's to be determined. Tanning and hiding. Yeah. The body. <laughs> you ever seen the movie Predator? And, and- <laughs> Ed Gein's first uh, class, he teaches you where to find the best corpses at in the graveyard. <laughs> it starts as a psychology class. Why would we do that? Well, you got to pick out the victim. What? What? <laughs> no. Um, bowls made from human skulls, also kind of cool. Not going to lie. Uh, a corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist. That reminds me of Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons he's in it's he's one of the inspired uh, the the characters that they take from Ed Gein. Um, yeah, the other being Leatherface, of course. Oh you yeah, know, sewing people's flesh together to make a mask. I mean, and at the beginning of uh, Chainsaw, a lot of people don't. Uh, it's 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 you know, blink and you'll miss it type thing. When they're listening to the radio, they're talking about how there's been a bunch of corpses ex- missing from the cemeteries locally. And that's oh, I did they, catch that. You know, they, they've been stealing the bodies and, like, using it to make the furniture and shit inside the house. So. Oh, my God. Uh, leggings made from human leg skin, which that was a thing back in, um, oh, God, I want to say uh, not Victorian times, but probably slightly after Victorian times. That was That was a thing. It was weird. Like out of humans? Yes. Yes. And uh, for good luck, okay, I don't have the full story, but you would have to put a coin in the pocket, and then after they were done drying or whatever, you would put them on. I'll get the details. We'll come back another time and readdress this, but yes, this was a thing. When we do chainsaw, you can bring it back up. Yes, yes. That seems like that's appropriate. Yes. Okay. Um, mask made from the skin of female heads, which you discussed, uh, specifically Mary Hogan's nope. face mask and a paper bag. Disgusting. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, I have to bring this up only because the term I have never heard it before and I had to confirm it with you, but nine vulvae in a shoe box, which is basically plural for vulva. Vulvae. Really tapping into that sexual repression there, Ed. Yes. <laughs> Um, let me see. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been around 15 years old. I mean, 
I don't know that they were victims or if they were just bodies exhumed, but hopefully it was the other. Um, a belt made from female human nipples. That one always fucking gets me. That could be complicated because are we going for sand dollar nipples? I mean, do we have to have consistency here? I'm are sure you can cut them a- down to size. Not really, because it wouldn't be you. You you're looking for. You're looking for symmetry, so you can't just cut them down to size. <gasps> yes, you can. No, you don't, because if you have a bigger nipple and you cut it down the to areola, size, it won't be as high in profile. A smaller nipple has a bigger end sticking out, and bigger nipples are more flat. You can so cut down you, the areola. It's not going to have the tower. The tower. <laughs> you don't really get that anyway, so after you have kids, I hate to tell you. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Look at Reverend. Well, his <laughs> face. Consistencies. <laughs> what happens if you murder a girl and it's not the nipple profile you're looking for? Then what do you do? Do you scrap the deal? Four noses. <laughs> a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. Why? Why not? You're asking the wrong questions. The question should be, why would you not do that? <laughs> it's pure artistic talent. Don't judge the artist. Well, I am. And, uh, well... <laughs> He's dead anyways, but then his pieces should be worth a lot more money. Oh my god. Okay, we're moving on. Ed Gein, did everybody. We cover the nipple belt. Did we cover the nipple belt. <laughs> we did. That you did not hear that whole conversation where we're talking about symmetry no, and I, cutting down the areola. I, yeah, I thought that's what you were talking about. I was trying to look. There's I can't remember if it was Ed Gein. There was a serial killer that once they got arrested, and I and I thought it was him, but I could be wrong. That there was a, spe- a little story about them, and I, but I couldn't find it really quick. So it's it, maybe it's Albert Fish that I'm thinking of. But one of them was found uh, in prison. Uh, he started having like these these uh, health issues, and they they noticed that he took like these ten inch long nails that he somehow found in the prison property and were shoving them up his scrotum up into his insides, <laughs> and he had like four or five of them whenever they did a scan on him. And I thought it was Ed Gein, I thought, but I, but it could have been Albert Fish. Um, it was Albert Fish for sure. Okay. I know that okay. much. Uh, Albert Fish, by the way, was an amazing father, just so you guys know. Prolific serial killer, amazing father. Isn't that insane? Could you imagine he, having... He, didn't he eat and molest children? Like, how is that even, like... Not uh, his oh, own whatever. kids. He was a great father to his own kids. Again, and yes... I don't... I don't... I want to have to do research on this, but Albert Fish could have been the inspiration for Freddy Krueger, but we'll get to that when we get oh, to yeah. his episode. Oh, yeah. I thought I had heard that, too. So, anyways, Ed Gein, everybody. Uh, also, if anyone is interested, I'm not going to show this on our podcast because I don't want to get us kicked off of YouTube, but there is a picture of the nipple belt if you would like to see it. So, Oh, my God. Uh, so, synopsis, everybody should know this movie by now, but a bank teller and perpetual bachelorette, tired of her single life and all that meaningless sex that it entails, sees the opportunity <laughs> to forge a new life with her... <laughs> Sees the opportunity to forge a new life with her fuck boy when $40,000 gets basically dropped in her lap by an old sugar daddy. <laughs> On the run with a stolen cash, the bachelorette happens upon the most unassuming incel serial killer one could hope to meet. And after a couple of sandwiches and some milk, uh, Marion strips nude for a killer unwittingly and is dispatched in the most infamous shower scene uh, in all of horror cinema. Unfortunately for a cross-dressing killer, this murder brings the heat down upon him (laughs) (laughs) and eventually gets uh, him caught after a zealous detective and a sister get involved. 
Oedipal Complex is rage. Janet Lee holds as still as humanly possible for a post-death scene take. And Anthony Perkins uh, stutters his way into our collective dark hearts. <laughs> she really did hold still for a really long time. Oh, my God. Uh, and that's that's in the, the trivia. But, like, she was talking about that. And you can see it if you watch the movie. There's, like, an extended cut of it. You can see there's a throat twitch and, and her throat moves and her eye twitches at a certain point, but God bless. I mean, how she held it long enough that she had water yeah. running down her face the time she was holding perfectly still. Like, I mean, you know, and they said, and that took a whole week, by the way, to film that entire shower scene. What? A solid fucking week. How do you, Yes. why does it take a week to, I mean, I, I maybe they're just not as good. I don't, Okay. All I want to say real quick is that shower scene is how every stab was not even was a stab so much as it was just a shot of a specific part of body without getting anything too risque. It was just like, oh, zoom in on this body, zoom in this body. This is where she's allegedly getting stabbed, which I found there to be is, hilarious. Uh, there is a fuck ton of trivia about that shower scene oh, okay. that we were getting into. <laughs> Um, there is one thing that I got to bring up now, though. There was, uh, there was a bunch of, uh, optometrists that bitched about that scene after they saw the movie because they pointed out to Hitchcock, they were like, you got everything pretty good in that scene, but let, let's tell you something you messed up. When a person dies, their eyes dilate. They don't stay constricted. So oh. he, so he took that and he was like, fair point. And every movie he made after this, he would give them special drops to make their eyes dilate when they died. <laughs> wow which is pretty cool i mean good for him but really shut up go fuck off you know what else yeah, happens when you die you fart and sometimes you shit yourself so do we really yeah, want to get yeah, into that <laughs> yeah i know that's something that i always think about in these movies it's like you know when somebody gets killed i'm like so especially i even thought in this movie i was like boy is is he going to clean up the shit that's obviously still in there? Is that yeah. going to be in the shower curtain too when he's hauling her out of the room? Um, oh, disgusting. So going all the way back in this movie to the very beginning, that theme song and those title credits uh, are, I mean, just classic. Because something I didn't notice, but I saw in the trivia and it's there. The title, and you got to remember, you got to put yourself way back in the frame of mind that people were originally watching this movie. We all know about Norman Bates. We all know about the shower scene. It's, uh, you know, I think it's, I think children, I think babies are born out of the womb now and they know who <laughs> Norman Bates is. Um, but back in the day, when they went to watch this movie, they had no fucking clue what this movie was about. And the beginning of this movie, you would think it's just a crime movie, like just a heist, you know, yeah. situation. Um, and then they flipped the script halfway through and it's totally different and, and a movie that had never been done before too, mind you. So there's that whole thing, but the hint very subtly at the beginning of this movie that what it's going to be about, because in the, the credits themselves are stabbing the names of the oh, people yeah. that are already on screen and removing them off screen. So they're kind of giving you a hint right from the get go. What's going on with the movie. Um, they, the movie, I mean, I, it, it's very well acted by, I mean, at least by the two leads, Perkins and uh, and uh, Janet Lee. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, both of them do. I mean, Norman Bates, like the way Anthony Perkins plays him, you actually, I mean, I don't know. You all might not have felt that way. You actually kind of like him at one point, even though you know what the fuck he's doing. I mean, now, but yeah, I mean, it's just that he's got that, just that 
he did very disarming. Like there's nothing about him. It's like, Oh, this guy couldn't be a killer. Look at him. And that's exactly what they wanted out of him. You know? Yeah. He, um, even when his conversations got weird, he always had a way of like bringing them back to, well, but you're right. You know, like you, you make a good point or something like that. Kind of, it was along those lines. Um, soft spoken, uh, polite and not awkward. I know Anthony Perkins in general, his characters always tended to be a little bit more on the awkward side, but I want to go to uh, 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 to Barbarian, where the white man in that movie was super awkward, and we're just like, oh, he's a weirdo, he's awkward, and Norman Bates was not as awkward as that. Like I say, it like that. No, the white man. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're talking it's about kind of two white men. They, in fact, they 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 look like each other. Not just because they're white; they're like probably like the same height, same dark hair, you same know, skin color. If I was talking about something from Spain and I said the Mexican, that person would lose their mind. Yeah, because Spaniards are just white Mexicans. Okay, <laughs> you're making my point. You'd be upset if you were that, told you were sun kissed. I was just going to say that whole thing with Norman where he, he stutters like whenever he's trying to speak, especially when he started getting flustered when Arbogast is like talking yeah. to him later on and like really pushing the point. That was all Anthony Perkins imp- improvisation. I mean, like it was, I mean, it was not in the script for him to, to do that. He yeah. added that to the scene. Oh yeah. And it I was feel, smooth. And I feel like that added more to like, cause Norman comes off as just like, I mean, uh, just like this very nice, you know, young man in the movie. Like you don't get any, like, and the funny thing is reason I, and I mentioned this earlier about Robert Block's novel, uh, Norman Bates in the novel is a fat, gross yeah. middle-aged man who is pervy right from the get-go. Like he, you know, just covered in sweat, you know, just a nasty looking individual. And like when they, when they read that from the novel, they're like, no, we want our guy. We want, we want the shower scene to be a shock to people. Yeah. So we want Norman to be like this person, like, Oh, he's as friendly as can be. There's not what's going on with this guy, you know? Yeah. Um, funny that you mentioned fat, pervy, sweaty guy, because I feel like, I mean, kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Part two, the person who was um, who was running the Bates Motel, he fits <laughs> the, that yes. description. I, and, and you know what? I didn't look at this, but he could have very well been based off the original character of Norman from the books. Because yeah. he fit the character more. He even had that nasty 70s porn stash yes. going on, you know. And uh, let's see, what else we got? We got now... I don't feel like the acting is as good in some of the other people in the movie. The and and just for reference, Hitchcock didn't feel like it either on some of the other people. The guy who plays, uh, let's go back here. Uh, the guy who played John Sam Loomis, the John Gavin. Uh, Hitchcock believed that he was uh, really, really uh, stiff acting in the movie. Like he, he just couldn't. He said when you go, when he went back and watched it, he's just like he's giving nothing in his performance to Sam. And I don't disagree with that. He's as stock fifty, late fifties, you know, white guys you can get in a movie. That's yeah. To him. It wasn't anything amazing, <laughs> and no emotion, no anger when he was supposed to be angry, no sadness. Uh, not even shock when he found out his his beloved girlfriend had is allegedly being accused of stealing forty thousand dollars, or the fact that she's been missing. 
so oh yeah yeah it's just like oh god well let's go find her you know it's yeah. like just nothing to that character yeah n- nothing so. i do feel like i feel like vera is better you know uh lila you know the sister i feel like she does better especially i mean she has one of the best screams in a horror <laughs> movie period at yes. the end of the movie when norman pops out like that scream is all-time great yes and then Martin Balsam, who plays Detective Arbogast, I mean, he he's fine. You know, I don't. I, he never really stood out to me as anything great. He just kind of there. The, the I think it's weird because I think the uh, you know uh, the guy who plays Sheriff Al Chambers McIntyre, I think he actually stole like uh, a little bit of uh, Balsam's, like you know, uh, he a little bit of the his uh, you know charisma or whatever in the scene because like i mean he stands out like the sheriff stands out more than arbogast does yeah um and arbogast is supposed to be like not a cop uh which is funny because they even touch it in the film about how he sure seems like a cop he's dry you know just like straight to the point like i don't know usually a private detective is a little bit more charismatic because they want to befriend you, and they want to be able to get the information. They have to get to know you. They need to know your personality. Um, he, I, They really cut and, it down a lot. They trimmed the fat, but he tried to work that with Norman Bates, but I don't. I wasn't buying it. He actually, he went the opposite way now that you mentioned it with Norman. Like, I mean, you know, normally when a detective, if a detective's wanting to get something out of somebody, I mean, there's that whole Columbo aspect where they kind of act like they're, you know, your friend or they kind of act like kind of bumbling a little bit to kind of get more out of you. He pushed Norman. He could see he was pushing Norman and he just kept like, you know, like, okay, uh, what about your mom? What about that old lady up there? And when he saw that Norman started stuttering even worse, then he kept it was almost like a cop who was doing like an interrogation at that point instead yeah. of a detective trying to get more information out of, you know, a witness. Which, you know, he still didn't, I mean, at the time, know that Norman had killed uh, Janet Lee's character, Mary, and he had just assumed that, you know, that he was in coats with her because, yeah. you know, obviously she could, you know, they could use the money to help with the, the motel that was, you know, clearly floundering at that time and not really, <laughs> really doing what it was supposed to be doing. Um, music that, like I said, that psycho, I mean, and especially the shower scene, like the perfect. Oh yeah. And this little bit of trivia about that too, but that shower scene was originally, uh, Hitchcock wanted it to be silent. Oh, wow. And he did not want any music during that scene. And Herman, uh, when he went back and he was doing, you know, going back and scoring the movie, he kind of went against Hitchcock's wishes, added it in there, that little part. And then when Hitchcock saw it, he's like, that's why I paid you the money. I did. Yeah. He, and that's in, you know, trivia. He paid him quite well. He's like, that's why I paid you that money. He said that made that scene so much better. And he's like, I'm glad you overrode me on that. So nice. that, that wouldn't have had that, that sound going along with it. Iconic sound. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows what it's from. Um, is, is there anything like, I mean, I know that the, for me, just talking about the movie, I I like the beginning of it. It almost gives me, I mean, a a movie that came out way later, but from dusk till dawn, like it sets up a whole entirely different movie. You get partway through it and then you got a totally fucking different movie on your hands. It's kind of got that vibe going to it. I was interested in the beginning of the movie going back and watching it because I wondered what, I don't know if you all were like me, but what the fuck is up with that cop? Like that cop is weird that pulled her yeah. over that state, you know, patrolman. He looked like a serial killer himself. Yes. Um, you know, the one thing that 
made that scene or that particular cop okay was the fact that she really was acting like something was wrong. And he picked up oh, on that was. super fast. And he answered very honestly. She's like, do I look like there's something wrong? And he's like, well, actually, quite frankly, yes, you do look like there's something <laughs> wrong. And then she still was in a hurry to skedaddle. She did not do a good job at all of covering up the fact that she is on the run because she's got $40,000 stashed away. And... <laughs> She's, and, and she made it even worse whenever she stopped at that guy, you know, to get the car or whatever. And, and she just kept, and the, she's like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then it didn't have, you know, any negotiation on that side of it. And the guy's like, okay, well, uh, $700. She's like cash. Okay. And that, that's weird. It's like, who the fuck has, I mean, which that doesn't sound like a lot now. I mean, $700, but I mean, back then that was yeah. pretty pricey just to be flashing cash. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Everyone dressed nice back in the day. What is going on? Oh, my husband's at his desk. I'm like, I can see things moving around on his computer screen, but he's not at the table. And I'm like, where, who? Okay. Anyways, going back though, she, I mean, I guess you you never know if the person you're dealing with is rich or a bank robber. I don't know. It's like, it's like, are you, are you selling a car or what? Are you asking me questions? Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> Um, I mean, it doesn't seem like much now, but that even that intro scene where she's laying, you know, casually in the bed with Sam and she's in lingerie. I mean, that was a big issue back in the time that this came out. Oh, yeah. The they're not married. Actually, yeah. The censors wanted that whole scene cut. I mean, even though they wasn't even actually in the act of doing anything, just the fact that they had, you know, quote unquote. Okay. The, it, she's in lingerie a lot in this movie. Well, a lot of her scenes. She's. Her her titties are out basically. Yes. It's like was that was that cliche at, around this time? Uh, no. There was a, they had to fight. I'll get into that, but they actually used a nude body double that posed for Playboy of all things <laughs> to sub in for her during those shower scenes. Okay, and that was very much. They had to go back and forth with the censors because the censors swore up and down they saw a nipple during the 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 shower scene. And when they went back and looked at it, it was so quick. They couldn't really tell. And so Hitchcock basically, you know, laughed his merry, merry way to the, the box office yeah. because they, they never could come to a conclusion whether or not there's actual nipple in the movie or not. And he never officially gave a good response to that. He claimed that there was, uh, like, it was ridiculous. I mean, it's in, I'll get to it, but there's like a ridiculous amount of quick cuts that he did to get that scene. Yeah. But, uh, he never officially admitted there's not a nipple in that scene. It's okay. kind of like, you know, if there is, it's so quick, nobody can actually see it. Um, because, okay, here's the thing. Why was this Janet Lee that wanted a body double? Cause she didn't want to be standing there naked. Um, why she had an amazing body. So why did they have a body double? <sighs> I, I don't know if I if I remember reading that in the trivia or not. I think that, that she was uncomfortable with being like fully nude for the scene. She said she was willing to do it, but then at the but then like there was enough of a, Hitchcock saw enough of her being uncomfortable that he was like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll get this other lady to sub in for you. Okay, for the body shots, I imagine, because the rest of it was her. Yeah, but but now here's the interesting thing: she was uh, she was uncomfortable with filming the nude scenes, but. At that scene where it's her death, you know, like the the after death scene that they do where they pan out from her eye. Uh huh. Um, she had pasties on to cover up her nipples and that, and that's all she had on in that scene. Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't she ass naked on the floor? 
But the funny thing about it is, is that because that scene went on for so long and she was so afraid of having to do another cut of it and she was such misery trying to keep her eyes from blinking for so long that those pasties, because of the heat still coming off of the shower, uh, were coming loose. <laughs> she said the guys who were above her filming her got full-on nipple shot anyways. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, you know, so she ended up being nude on the movie not in the movie, but like, you know, the, the crew saw her nude with whether she wanted it or not, just because she was like, fuck it, I'm not doing this this scene again. Yeah. We're, 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 do it live, you know. <laughs> fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, that is the one part in the movie, though, that I think is so artistic and so well done when you go back and watch is that shower scene. People don't give it credit. All they remember is just like, you know, the person in the wig who is not Anthony Perkins, by the way, he was completely offset when this was going on. Was it actually uh, a woman? What's that? Was it actually a woman? Uh, no, it was a male cast uh, okay. or a person on the staff or whatever, but in a wig, the one that he ended up wearing, but it was not Norman because they wanted to have different features than Anthony Perkins because he is, he's got a very... He's got a very singular look. When you see Anthony Perkins, tall, the way lanky, skinny like he is, yeah. he stands out. So they didn't want it to look like him right off the bat. So they wanted a little bit. So they got somebody else to sub in for him. Okay. But people remember that scene just from that person appearing and then, you know, the quick cuts and then her dead. But when you go back and watch it, I mean, there is a lot of artistry to that. Like the whole scene with the blood, like slowly swirling down yeah. the drain. Uh, it dissolving into her eyes, it backs out, and there's a long, continuous shot from her eye into the room, uh, through the window, up to the Bates house, like all in one. I mean, I'm sure there was like cuts in there, but like it looks so, I mean, it's so continuous that it, I mean, and for the time, that was, uh, it's it's pretty big deal. I mean, they, you know, movies nowadays have done longer continuous shots. I think it was Children of Men that did like a full 12-minute nonstop, like no-cut scene or mostly no-cut scene that was kind of, but, I mean, this one is one of the bigger ones, like for just, I mean, and I love that dissolve they do into her eye and then, you know, away from her. Yeah. Uh, and the way they got the blood to look, it was actually chocolate syrup because that was... <laughs> They were filming in black and white anyways. They yes. didn't have to have it colored. And so they, they said that had the best consistency. So that's what they used. It worked. Yeah, it worked really well. The only thing that doesn't work in this movie for me, well, there's two things. It's uh, Arbogast. I don't like the stylized way that he dies. That looks so goofy to me, <laughs> the way that he's like half slipping down the steps. Oh, yeah, that was he, so funny. It is so goofy looking. And then the stupidest thing is the fucking remake did the exact same scene, the exact same way. And it looks even fucking worse in color. So at least this movie, you know, you can give it a little bit of credit for what it tried to do. That remake had no excuse. I mean, William H. Macy falling down the steps, uh, in the same exact way with the, and everything, it looks fucking ridiculous. Like in, in so modern funny. times for that to happen. I forgot that uh, I had seen, I think I had seen, the Psycho remake, or maybe bits and pieces of it. Um, but I forgot, isn't that what kind of got Anne Heche on the, like, in into the mainstream media? It was, yeah. Yeah, okay, I think I remember. So, I didn't like that scene in the movie, and I did not like the scene at the end of it where, and, and Hitchcock didn't like this. When I, heard, when I read that, I was like, that makes sense. The whole scene where they have like nothing, like five minutes or however long it is, where the the you know the 
psychoanalyst, the psychiatrist or whatever is like, you know, talking to everybody and like telling, you know, it's like, Oh, he was a mother killer. He had, you know, he, he felt like he became her blah, blah, blah. That whole explanation. Yeah. That is not fucking needed in the movie. It it's, is not. It's like, I so mean, long and, drawn too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you would have ended the movie where they're all there and like, he just came out really quick and he said that Norman's gone or whatever. And then you quick cut to Norman and like, he's, you know, that whole scene where it's like, I'll not even touch the fly because yes. I don't want them to think that I'm the killer. And then like that, that in that little dissolve they do where hit her dead face is like superimposed on the his and then, then cut to the scene of them dragging the, the swamp for uh, Marion's car. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That would have been the way to end the movie. You did not need it. All that shit from that psychiatrist explaining all that. Yeah, I was sitting there just like, is he fucking done talking yet? Cause I swear <laughs> he just keeps going because he's one of those people that likes to hear themselves talk. And from my understanding, that was totally studio interference because they got the initial cut of the movie. It didn't have that scene in it. They watched it, and he's like, well, normal people are not going to figure out the, what the hell they just saw because the last thing they saw in the movie is literally Norman in a you know a wig like with this, and, and that's an effective scene. I mean, like, you know, especially compared to the remake, but when he pops out and that look on his face with that knife as he's getting ready to stab, you know, Lila Crane, it's actually, I mean, he's kind of a little bit terrifying in that scene yeah. just because of how crazy he looks. Yeah, he's got the crazy but, look in his eye. Uh, what was up with the explanation about transvestites? That was, that was he's a transvestite. Well, actually, technically he's not. And here's why. Here is a, a three-minute monologue about why he's not a transvestite. It, it's funny that they did that because that seems like something that would come out now in the woke culture that yeah. you have to explain away that he's not a transvestite. And I don't know why the culture in that time would have been – they were woke in a different way like or they, they or they were censoring in a different way. They couldn't – you couldn't mention the word transvestite because, like, for some reason – reason it had like this negative connotation to the religious people and they would have freaked out so they had to cover it up and say no technically he was still you know he didn't derive pleasure from dressing up as a woman that was just the persona he took on he just thought he was the woman and it's like shut up I was just like, damn. I was like, was this made in 2022? I (laughs) mean like did they have to explain that? Apparently they did. But you're right. That that whole thing is. When I heard that, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so funny that we've regressed back to the the late fifties, early sixties level of of. I mean, like they've gone so woke, they've gone you know ultra conservative in, yeah. the, in their viewpoints. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the only two parts of the movie that don't work for me. I think the scenes, especially with uh, Norman uh, Anthony Perkins, work great. I mean, because he's he does a fantastic job in the movie. And I don't have any real problems with that. And like I said, the visuals of that uh, that shower scene are classic. I mean, they I think Hitchcock stylized it enough that it stands out, and it will always stand out because I mean, it 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 was just it's got a flair to it that a lot of deaths that even will I mean, the gore will make it better, but like even the deaths that we uh, you know have, that we'll be covering later on from some of the other slashers don't have the artistry of that scene you know with a shower. Yeah. Um- Dumb question, but Psycho is Universal Studios? It is. It's funny, though. It wasn't. It was originally Paramount. Okay. I'll get into that, too. But Paramount 
they 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 sold the rights to it because they didn't feel like it was that good of a that it wasn't worth their time to keep. And then Universal was like, and Universal it was filmed on their lots. That's the reason the Psycho yeah. House still exists on the the Universal back lot. And so Universal was like, we'll take it. Yeah, and they made a shit ton of money off of it. Yes, obviously, and clearly we get to, we get to see that every year that we go. Um, it, it is fun going to the to the Norman Bates house, but. The reason why I kind of bring that up is one of the the we did get an explanation of each house from the VIP tour. So we got the lowdown, the story and everything. But they started us with Universal Monsters and they talked about how Universal Studios is kind of like the beginning of horror. They took on the horror genre while other studios were doing like romance. You know, someone did romance, someone did music. Exactly. And they're like, so because of Universal Monsters and Psycho, we would not have the horror we have today without these films and specifically Universal. They're not wrong in that. Yeah. I mean, it, if I mean, it literally Universal Monsters spawned. I mean, a lot of horror down the line. Like, oh I mean, yeah, because people didn't because people didn't take those movies seriously. I mean, there was a few that were filmed, like you know, short. You know, the Silent Era. I mean, there was a uh, you know, whenever uh, Edison was making his own like little movies in his lab before he you know released the technology out. I, you know, there was there was a few of those, but I mean, it was I mean, nobody took them seriously. As, I mean, as a genre, until they, uh, you know, the especially Frankenstein. Frankenstein was the big one. I mean, Dracula was its own thing. People respected it, but when they came out with you know James Wells Frankenstein, people were like, "Fuck, th- that's a well made movie," and I don't like that genre, but that's well made, you know. Yeah. And it and it kind of went on from there, and so yeah, and then Universal has picked has slowly picked up several like icons over time. They they I think they now kind of half own uh, or they're in with uh, owning Michael Myers. I mean, at least the new movies they're in on the releasing of that stuff. They, yeah, they, they were the ones that put out Chucky's movies, Child's Play. I so, feel I like mean, they're they, really they kind of getting their 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 hooks in on a lot of horror in general. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, the more, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because, like, I mean, I was sitting there looking at some of their icons that, the, or that they can repeatedly have in houses, and they, they have a, a huge backlog just their own. I mean, people are always time complaining because WB won't play with them that much anymore. WB used to like loan out stuff like, you know, Pennywise and, you know, some of the Stephen King stuff they had, but now they're like, no. We do special, like, little one-off things ourselves, you know, like they had the, the It House that they, you know, released that you could kind of walk through. And so they don't like they don't like giving Universal that the access to that stuff much anymore, and people are complaining about it. But I was like, you, you know, I'm sitting there thinking when I read that, Universal has a lot of their own now, so I don't know why they really have to be that concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention about the movie? I was just going to kind of cover what the sequels and stuff and kind of compare the remake here real quick before we get in the trivia. I didn't know if there's anything else about the movie that stood out to you or. Um, no, I'm going to wait till ratings, um, to discuss anything further. So I'm good. One other thing that we didn't mention is Norman's obsession with taxidermy. That figures into <laughs> oh, how yeah. his mother, but that also goes back to Ed Gein. You know, like that—that's one of the direct links between the two of them. Is you know the patching together of corpses and all that stuff. So. Yeah, he was a lot better with the birds uh, than his mom. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Psycho 2 uh, is an interesting movie. You got Vera Mills coming back to play Lila Loomis now. She did marry Sam after the events of the first <gasps> movie. That whore. <clears throat> that whore. And, uh, and Meg Tilly or... Mary Samuel slash Loomis, as there is the character she plays in this in the movie. Uh, she is uh, this movie's interesting because you have a Norman that's getting released from uh, the mental asylum after twenty some years of being in there. Lala doesn't want him back out for obvious reasons, you know, after what he did to her sister Mary, and she doesn't she doesn't feel like he's rehabilitated. Will never be rehabilitated yeah. after the shit that he pulled, and they they do reveal that he did kill two other women prior to. Uh, killing Marion and so what she does when he's released is her she sends her daughter and 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 she also works on the side too they gaslight Norman yeah they take a Norman Norman who has been rehabilitated successfully and they fucking gaslight him back to the killer that he originally was <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be honest with you I actually felt bad for him in this movie because he seemed, I, I, I did too. Yeah, he seemed like he had genuinely made a change. And he even admitted, like, when he's like, look, I'm, I'm feeling these feelings again. This isn't right. This isn't good. Like, he, he like, acknowledged the, the, the negativity. And he straight up cared about uh, Meg Tilly's character, uh, Mary Loomis, yeah. is what her, you know, actual name is. He straight up cared about her as a person. Like, he thought that she was a friend that was, you know, that, that was helping with his, you know, help keeping him on the narrow, you know, straight and narrow. And she's fucking working against him the entire time. She even feels bad at, at one point in the yes. movie. She's like, what the fuck have we done? You know, and but, but then... It's too late. They they fucked him over to the point that he's right back to square one again when it comes to his mom. Oh, they and, learned. And, and they introduce a, and they introduce another weird concept in the movie that Norma is not his actual mother. She it was actually Norma's sister who was his mother, but because she was psychotic and already in a nuthouse nut herself, uh, you know Norma took uh, Norman and raised him. Uh, and then, uh, and then it was, and, and then they explain away the fact that Norman's father's not in the picture is the, that whenever she escaped from the nut house, his real mother or his aunt or however you want to figure that up, she killed his father just so that she'd get closer to Norman. So it kind of sets up this whole other, you know, thing going on. Just fucking him up way more than he already (laughs) is. And then her admitting that it's been her doing all the killing the whole time. Yeah, the the times that he doesn't kill anybody but her in the entire movie. Like that's the fucking craziest oh, yeah. thing about it. She is literally because even there's the hint that he might have killed uh, Vera at one point, uh-huh. but no, it ends up being his real mother that killed Vera. So it's not he doesn't kill anybody until the very last shot. Alleged, of the movie, and it's alleged real mother. <laughs> I'm not yeah, buying it. A, <laughs> um. I actually, I enjoy the sequel. That Psycho 2 is actually very well made. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of psych- psychology that they work into it. Uh, Anthony Perkins does a great job again. Yeah. I mean, it's an older uh, Norman. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this. Meg Tilly is actually sister, younger sister to Jennifer Tilly, who plays uh, Tiffany in the Chucky movie. Oh, so. yeah. We, we caught on to that real quick. And I was like, wait a second. Is that Jennifer Tilly? And I was like, no, that's Meg Tilly. And he's like, well, are they sisters? And I was like, I think they, they are. They look just alike. Yeah, they do. And then they have another sister, Rebecca Tilly, by the way, uh, who also looks like them. 
that was she in a in a slasher movie and played the lover to one of, or a semi lover to one of the slashers in it? Because... Let me see. I think she is an actress. Hold on, Rebecca Tilly. Um, maybe not, because I don't see any kind of film. Wait, hold on. Let's go to movies. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, here we go. Images, news, videos. No, she's not in any movies. Okay. The um the other actor in it is uh that's prominent in the movie is uh besides the the creepy guy that you were talking about earlier who's like the 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 manager who's been running the hotel for years. And that's a whole other thing. Like Norman comes back and like his his, his hotel his motel that he he ran all that time that was like that he still got pride in, even if he is, you know, there's all this weird, you know, attachments to it. Um it's being run, it's like almost like crack fuck house is what it's been running oh, yeah. like, you know by this this creepy guy and so there's that guy in the movie but the other primary actor besides him is robert loggia who plays uh the the psychiatrist who's vouching for uh you know norman this entire time yeah and 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 they do a good job of having Norman check in with him on occasion too. Like, I mean, they don't just like, oh, it's I'm going to release you and that's it. Like, he does check in on Norman. It's just he doesn't realize that these two women are actively are so close and and what and they're fucking live and they're in the house with Norman, and you know, one of them to his face, but the other one's hiding around in the house yeah. and making him think and and pretending to be his mother, which is fucking him over on a whole different level. So. Very well done on the psychology on part two. Yeah. Part three is where it kind of takes a turn. <laughs> like part three is the, is the, the cheesy, it's, it's like the B movie of the psycho series or whatever. It's cause you have, you start out and you have a scene with uh, Diane Scarwood playing Marine coil, you know, MC that, that factors into the movie. She's got the same initials as Norman's big, you know, the, the one that, that got him in trouble, you know, Marion crane, but, She's like a, uh, a nun in, like, it looks like Mexico, and she is, at the very first scene, she's going to jump off the bell tower and commit suicide, and, like, the nuns, and they give you a reason later, I think it's because something that she was having too many sexual thoughts that she couldn't like, you know, and that, that plays into the movie, too, because sexual repression, religion, that sort of thing. But uh, she's getting ready to jump off the bell tower, and then, like, one of the nuns runs up and tries to, you know, save her, and she accidentally knocks, knocks that nun off, and she drops to her death at the bottom of the – and so she becomes a murderer instead of a suicide victim, and they, they exile her. And when she's, like – and she travels to the desert for God knows how long, and the very first person she meets is Jeff Fahey's character, Dwayne Duke, who is, like, this wannabe, like, Elvis-type character <laughs> – who is but but all he's really looking for is a piece of poon like the entire time ah. in the movie he does he does he don't give a fuck what you look like I mean there is straight up a scene in the movie where there's this reporter who's on Norman's case like she's another person who's trying to gaslight him in a, in, a, in another way into going back and doing his killing just so she can get like the new story of her career and she looks god awful and 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 right after jeff Fahey's he's like been hitting on diane scar with this entire time he turns around and he's like well i'll fuck you if you, uh. if you throw a piece my way i'll help you out so it's <laughs> it's like and so but he ends up you know norman like takes a liking to him he has him running the hotel and to his credit Dwayne duke for all you know all of his faults he actually runs it decently um but there's this whole thing where uh, Norman goes in to kill Marine Coyle, 
because at this point he's still psychotic. Like he's, you know, he's, he's, it, you know, at the beginning of the movie, it shows the very final scene from part two where he's killed his supposed mother and he goes through the act of like sewing her back up and Ugh. doing the taxidermy and all that. And he, and there's a couple of scenes at the beginning of the movie where some people stay at the ho- the motel and he's fucking killing them. Like he's dressed up as Norma. He's back at it. Like he's, he's the one in charge doing the killings again. Back in but, business, everybody. Uh, back in business but like he goes to kill marine but she is in the tub already like in the same shower the same exact shower that marion uh, crane was killed in she's in but she's laying in the tub and she has slipped both of her wrists because she cannot deal with the guilt of what she did with killing the other sister and when norman comes in there he actually ends up being her savior instead of her killer uh, even though he was going to stab her to death, and when she, and she's passing out at the time, so she sees him his outline as a as a vision of mother or as a, as a, uh, mother Mary. So so she has this hyper religious moment looking oh, at Norman dressed up as his mother, and so the rest of the movie is like them like he actually forms a relationship with her and he falls in love with her. Like I mean. And you and you feel bad for him again in a different way because like he still got his mother in his mind and he ends up killing her uh, before the end of the movie even though he actually does care about her toward All the right. end of it. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but they do catch him. They haul him off, and that's where Psycho Four comes in, which was a made-for-TV movie, and it kind of gave like a history to uh, Norman, like a backstory where it tells about how he got to that point. It like, it really talks about his relationship with his mother and it gets super fucking creepy. Like he, you got, you got the original psychiatrist from the first film, that son of a bitch that we talked about that just goes on and on and on about the matricide and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's not the same actor, but you got that same character and he's on a talk radio show. And like, he's basically telling, you know, the audience about, you know, he's got another mother killer there. And he's talked about how since Norman was his first one that he really got into, like now he's the, you know, the expert on it. And they get a call after that person has to leave. And it's from Norman. And he's basically telling them, he's like, he's got, he gives them another name and all that. He's been rehabilitated supposedly. He's in this nice fancy house. It's not the the Bates house, but he's telling them that he's getting ready to kill again unless they uh, do something to talk him back. And so, through the course of him calling into the radio show, he reveals his history with his mother to kind of what got him to that point. And basically, when his father died, his mother uh, deliberately uh, refused to let him grow up. Is the story that they present in this movie. Like, and when it got to the point, and she was very creepy about it. Like, she always wanted him to be like a little boy, even though he was clearly not a boy at that point. Yeah. She was always having him like sit on her lap, lay in the bed with her. She was almost flirting with him the entire fucking time too, Ew. which is really creepy. Like, she was feeding into it. And then when Norman starts having, you know, unintended erections. Then his mother locks, dresses him up in women's clothing, locks him in a closet, and tells him until he can, you know, stop being a little monster that he he's not going to get out. So she basically she has, and, and there's scenes where he's sitting there and she's like, "Put some ice on me." I'm, I'm you know, and and is the actress they got? She's not bad looking, but she's like, "Put some ice on me." I'm hot, Norman, and he has to sit there and like drag an ice cube across his mother's body. Yeah. While he's in his tidy whities laying on top of her. I mean, like Ew. that's the kind of you know, movie that you're getting. So, um, when she gets the other guy in that he ends up killing, you know, that, that they talk about in the first movie, she killed his, uh, his mom and, and, and her lover. When he comes in there, he's one of those like jock types that is basically trying to make Norman a tough guy. So he's beating the shit out of Norman. 
And uh, while his mother's basically like laughing at Norman when he gets beat up, so he's basically getting cucked by his own mother, which is a whole weird thing on top of it. And so Norman just, oh, and Norman's been played this whole entire time as a young version by uh, Henry Thomas. Well, he goes about, uh, you know, he kills both of them, you know, because he, he can't deal with the confusion that he's got going on. Yeah. And then there's a there's another little girl, and, and it shows one of the ones that he killed before Marion. There's another little girl that came to, like, the motel, you know, a little bit after he, he had killed his mother or poisoned his mother, and uh, she is heavily just wanting to get into his pants. Like, it's during some night when there's fire. I think it's July 4th, there's fireworks going off. She's doing everything but literally rubbing her goods in his face. <laughs> and he goes to have sex with her, and he can't reconcile his emotions because every time that he got that way, yeah, his mother told him he was a monster and all that. So he ends up killing her. To and which that ties into Ed Gein more than anything, yeah. you know, the fact that every time that he got aroused by a woman, he felt like he was doing something wrong by doing that because his mother always told him it was he, he shouldn't think those things, yeah. Um, and so, uh, but anyways, by the end of the movie, uh, it Norman, it turns out Norman is married to one of the women, uh, one of the doctors who actually helped re- rehabilitate him the second time. And they have a great relationship, and he and and she has helped him to the point where he no longer really, you know, feels his mother's presence. But she has informed him that she's pregnant, and he's always told. And he and he and his main sticking point is he did not want to create another child that would be like him. Oh yeah. So he's so his whole thing in Psycho Four is he's got to kill his wife so that she can't have the child that's going to you know that that he he doesn't want her to bring that child into the world. Yeah. But there's a whole scene at the end of it where they go back to the the Bates motel into the house and um, him and and his wife or whatever. And he keeps seeing his mother inside the house and, you know, images of her, his, the Norma mother, not the other one that was in the other psycho movies. They kind of retcon that a little bit. And um, he basically, there's a scene where he, it looks like he's getting ready to kill his wife. And then instead he stabs his mother's corpse or whatever. And then like cuts her head off and then sets fire to the house. And that's his way of moving on. He's like, you know, so he's, he's done with it. And so it's kind of has a, a good ending if you want to consider it that. Yeah. Kind of a, a Why weird is her one, body still it, in that house though? Like does nobody do anything in that house or maintain it while he's in? <laughs> what happened to her corpse the first time? Because he obviously got carried off to the mental asylum. There's no way it just stayed in the cellar. Well, supposedly he hid it somewhere that they couldn't find. I don't know, movie logic. I, I mean, I, you would think that they would have searched it, you know, top to bottom to find all the victims, and they would have eventually found her corpse yeah. or whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then there's the Psycho remake, and that's the last thing we'll cover before we get into trivia. This movie's fucking awful. <laughs> and and there's reasons for it. Now, first of all, it's a straight, it's, it is literally a shot for shot remake of the original movie. I'm not even kidding. Like they, they do the, uh, they do the credits the same way. They've got the music the same way. Uh, they, they have the scene just at the beginning of it where they start out and like the, the panoramic view of the city and they go all the way in to the window and it's, you know, to the walls, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> there's the scene of Sam who's being played by Vigo Mortison in the movie, which that's actually the improvement in the movie. Vigo fucking knocks it out of the park as Sam. But anyways, <laughs> um, 
And then uh, Anne Hache is laying there, and she's marrying. And that's one—that's their first problem, because Anne <laughs> Hache, she doesn't fucking do a good job at all in this movie. And I hate to say that, because she did just recently pass away this year. Really weird scenario how she passed away. Yeah. I mean, she wrecked twice in the same day, and there's a whole... Who knows what was going on with her. But she... Did, she when you compare, like, Janet Lee was fucking amazing compared to Anne Hayes. I mean, there's no comparison between the two of them. But she, but you have to compare because she took that role on. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, it's it goes the same exact way. It's filmed the same exact way. Uh, it's even funny because the, the cop that they got, the state trooper that pulls her over, looks like the fucking same state trooper oh that my they God. had in the original movie. And it's like, I was like, well, they make these guys in a factory somewhere? <laughs> like, how <laughs> I mean, the jawline and everything looks the same in this dude. Um, and then they, and then once she gets to, uh, once she gets to the motel, then it's Vince Vaughn who's playing uh, Norman in this version. Yeah. And God Almighty, I love yeah, Vince Vaughn, I but not that. in this, N- not not at all. His his version of making his way of making uh, Norman into a, I don't know, kind of awkward, <laughs> you know almost likable person is to do this weird laugh where it's like that whenever he says something that does not work. It doesn't work at all. You can imagine Vince Vaughn doing that laugh that, that it, I was like creeped out by it. I'm like, I wouldn't stay to that fucking motel. Like what the fuck is she thinking? I mean, like, you know, she's running <laughs> there, from the law. <laughs> and, and we didn't mention this when we were talking about the original psycho, but that scene when he's got her in the parlor and they're talking to each other, there's a there's a, something I love that that Anthony Perkins did where he's talking and he's almost he's got this weird uh, like kind of monotone that he's talking about at one at one point when he's talking about his mother like you know it's like he you can sense that he's fading away at that point like it's I mean because all the person personality and charm that he's shown up to that point it kind of fades away for an instant and he talks in a monotone about his mother and then whenever Marion brings up well why don't you put her in a home that's when he gets fucking pissed at her yeah like a little bit of the heat comes out of him well it's uh, vince vaughn doesn't do any of that stuff so it's just like you know just him you know i mean he could have been talking about motorboating you know like Ah. wedding crashers and it would have been any different i'm like you know motorboat that son of a bitch you know like that's that's what he should have done but uh perhaps the worst part of the movie though is william h macy and i hate to say that because i think he's a good actor too yeah but he plays arbogast like the original i mean well, he does a better job than the original Arbogast. He's got a personality. I'll put it that way. But the problem is he plays a hard-boiled 1950s detective and the fucking movie set in 1998. Yeah. It, it makes no fucking sense. It's like you really chose to do it that way. Th- that's what you chose to do with the characters, make him a 1950s hard-boiled detective and, and set in 1998. Okay, that doesn't work. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, the only, the only other person in the movie besides Vigo that's any good is Julianne Moore. She plays Lila Crane in this, and I kind of like what they did with her character because the, the very first scene they introduce her when she walks into Sam's store, hardware store, is that she's got like this, uh, she's got some headphones on, she's jamming out to some hard rock and music, uh, some kind of like that. She pulls them off real quick, and she's like, where the fuck's Sam? Like, yeah. she's, she's hardcore. Like, she's, I mean, her sister's missing, she's fucking pissed. Like, and I mean, I'm like, that's how the character should be. So, or at least in 98, she should be that way. So, I, I'll give credit to Julianne Moore. And she, not a bad-looking woman in the movie. So, there's yeah. that, too. But Did they I mean, did they try to sell the whole 
oh, if we find her in the money and return it, no one's going to press charges. Were they trying to push that too? They did. And the funniest thing is, is that they went from, uh, was it $40,000 to like 4 million or some kind of fucking nonsense? Like yeah. it, the amount of money jumps up a ridiculous amount. It, it and, and the stupid thing is too, I mean, it might go from 40 to 400,000. I think that's what they did, okay. which is still a significant jump. Yeah. But when, it, when, but the funny thing is they don't keep the inflation quote unquote, which that's not the inflation because even in, uh, that's in the notes that I've got here, even in 2020, 2017, the the inflation would only been like you know maybe two hundred thousand or something even then, and this was like ten years before that. Yeah. But when she goes to change the car out, they only ask for seven thousand dollars difference in the car, and I'm like, well, that's fucking what about what she paid in the original movie? Like, what the fuck are you? It's like you give her ten times the amount of money or hundred or whatever, like you know from the get go to account for inflation but then you turn around and then like when she goes to trade the car in it barely bumps up from the original movie that makes no fucking sense yeah <laughs> so i don't i and and really and 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 the flaws in the original movie stand out even more that scene with william h macy falling down the steps as arbogast <laughs> looks so worse and they and and i don't know what i saw exactly but there's like a scene right before that where he sees like norman dressed up in and oh well, i gotta get to that too now that reminds me but he sees norman dressed up in like the you know the wig and everything coming after him top the steps uh you know quick shot like the original movie overhead you can't really you so you can't tell that it's you know anthony perkins or in this case vince vaughn but there's a flash of a scene right before he gets stabbed and it almost looks like a cow in a field. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? What did they just splice into this movie? Like, how does that have anything to do with anything in this movie? Like it, it made no sense. And then like, and then he falls down the steps and that, Oh, you know, that waving his arm way. Um, what I was going to say though, that just reminded me Vince Vaughn. So in the original movie, when Anthony Perkins comes out, you know, we talked about in, you know, on Lila and he's got, you know, the, the outfit on, he's got the wig. He's kind of, he's kind of creepy looking. It's kind of scary looking in that scene. Yeah. You you need to see Vince Vaughn in a wig and in a moo trying to creep up on Anne Hache because it is the, or not Anne Hache but uh, Julianne Moore because it is the fucking funniest thing. I mean, unintentionally that I've seen in a movie in a long time because first of all they make the basement like three times the size that it was in the original movie because not only does he have like the, you know, cause in the original movies, he, it's just like a root cellar or something, you know, and then he, he does his taxidermy down there. But like in this one, he's got like three sections. He's got the original basement. That's like, you know, looks like that stuff. Then he's got a section that's like all done up to look like a greenhouse or no, it's a, it's a, it, it's a like live bird uh, exhibit is what it is. And it's like completely closed off. And so like they, they lent. And so you see Vince Vaughn slowly stalking up behind Julianne Moore. So instead of a quick cut of him, like right behind her, you see him in this ridiculous outfit, like with a stupid look on his face, just for like, I feel like two or three minutes before he ever gets anywhere close to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't understand why they did it. Like, I really don't. <laughs> Okay. I wondered for years because this is the first time I've sat down to watch this. I wondered for years why people hated it because they, they always complain. It's like it's straight shot for shot. That's not the problem. It, it's just the fact that, I mean, well, I mean, that, that that's part of the problem. But when you watch it, it's just that everything was done so much more poorly than the original movie. So there's no point. In why does it exist? <laughs> yeah. You know? you know what movie was good, I always thought, and it kind of reminded me of a psycho type of take on it. Not 100%, but it has a lot of the under undertones to it. And 
The psychological part is a movie identity. 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 Is that the one? Yes, that's the one at the motel where it's basically like a. Um, Everybody's a personality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I, you haven't seen it yet, and we're not going to talk about it any further. He. Oh, he has. Reverend has it? not seen it yet. Oh, you're going to like that. And movie. Human Horror is when we're going to be reviewing that one. Yeah, because oh, okay. that one. Okay. Cool. That one. If you were, if you were going to remake. Um, Psycho, that would have been an awesome remake of what Psycho could have been. I rant and I rave to him about that film <laughs> a lot. It is, from what I remember, it's a good film because the twist that you get from it, 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 I didn't expect it. I didn't see it. I wouldn't have known. And there's a lot of fucking horror buildup around this of I'm going to die or survival horror, if you will, almost. That sounds pretty good actually it is um, yeah it's a really good horror movie I, see a lot of people gave shit to the fright night remake that came out and we'll cover that when we get to the vampire season for sure because the original fright night's a classic and and i love the remake i actually do love it uh but a lot of people gave it shit because uh it changed so much from the original but i, I mean like there's nothing i mean the way that it changed things up i mean made sense for the time period that they set it in and i mean you know they they made the main care the you know the Peter Vincent character that was originally played by Roddy McDowell. They took him from like a horror night TV show host to like uh, Chris Angel style, like, you know, dark magic type guy or whatever played by David Tennant. And a lot of people gave him shit saying that's stupid. But when you, I mean, how many horror hosts exist now? And this movie was made in like the, you know, mid two thousands or something like that. Yeah. Um, one of the last guys out there is like uh, Chris Gore, probably one of the last dudes, but he doesn't even yeah, have a show. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like they, they don't have that anymore as a as a staple. So like them updating it to that actually made quite a bit of sense, and I actually like what they did with it. And and that's and that's and they they updated a few more things uh, with the characters or whatever. I, I I mean, I like how they made uh, Colin Farrell's uh, vampire more. He's more menacing than Chris Sarandon's yeah. is in the original movie. Chris Sarandon is more like you know in the movie he he's more charismatic. He he's going to work his charms to get over on you. Whereas Colin Farrell's just going to brute force fucking kill you and rip your fucking you know throat out. And yeah, like, which I, is and, what you would expect from a vampire. Yeah, well, and also the fact that I mean. His his build is you know lends more to that. Where you see Chris Sarandon, yeah, he you know he's you know it's Prince Humperdinck for God's yeah, sake. I mean, he's, he's very... not like you know <laughs> he's not the most threatening person, so he has to work his charm versus you know threatening to you know kill you the other way. And I like that they made those changes, but like this remake for Psycho, getting back to that. It makes no fucking sense doing a shot for shot remake in 1998 of all things. Like, why did they set it in, you know, quote unquote modern times? It was modern for the time that it was released and then not change a damn thing. Cause even at the beginning of it, that's the other thing. They have the scene where Vigo and her are there and like they're having this whole back and forth about how she can't do this. She can't be the other, you know, this woman with that's not, that's just sleeping around. And I'm like, it's fucking 1998. You can fucking do that in that time period. And nobody's going to bat a fucking eye. What are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like the social, like, you know, uh, morality had changed and like none of the original stuff made any sense in the context of that movie. <laughs> uh, for the record, so, uh, um, <laughs> even the internet cannot explain away the cow on the wet road right before Abigail dies. <laughs> So, I saw that and I'm like, did my fucking TV glitch? What did I fucking see? No, that was an actual scene and nobody knows why. 
uh, and it's just, and it's bad too, because it's a completely different, like texture of movie. Even it's almost like shot on video, like yeah. the, the grain and everything changes in that scene. I'm like, I don't know what that was, but that makes no fucking sense. Yeah. <laughs> so are y'all ready to hop into this? Uh, oodles of trivia. Oodles <laughs> of trivia. Let's, let's go. All right, so director Alfred Hitchcock, Sir Alfred Hitchcock, he was not. It was so pleased with the score written by Bernard Herrmann that he doubled the composer's uh, salary to $34,000, and Hitchcock later said 33% of the effect of Psycho was due to the music, and he's not wrong. Yeah. Big time. The the track over it was really, really good. Um, And he was also Herman. I think this notes too. Herman was the one that added that scene, which was the only part of the scene that was effective. And when Arbogast is falling down the steps, he re he took and spliced the, the shower scene music into that scene, even though Hitchcock wanted that to be silent and that made that scene slightly better. So he's like, uh, it's uh, not, this is not a silent (laughs) film. Sorry. When the cast and crew began work on the first day, they had to raise their right hands and promise not to divulge one word of the story. And and Hitchcock uh, withheld the ending part of the script from his cast until he needed to shoot it so that they would not give it away. Wow. Which is smart. Yeah. After the movie's release, uh, Hitchcock received an angry letter from the father of a girl who refused to have a bath after seeing uh, Dial uh, Balik in 55 and now refused to shower after seeing the, uh, uh, this movie of Psycho because, well, that's another little thing I <gasps> throw in there. Hitchcock saw this movie that was also, I think, supposed to be based on uh, Block's novel called Dial Balik or whatever that was a French film, and he basically did his twist on it. And a lot of people, you know, there's debates on which one's better, but a lot of people can you know say that psycho is but apparently in the original in, in Dalvalik, uh the person was killed while having a bath and then this was a shower so this little girl refused to take either and <laughs> blamed hitchcock for it uh hitchcock being the ass that he was uh sent a note back to her or back to the father saying send her to the dry cleaners <laughs> yeah, what the fuck dude Sweet. how about that's awesome you <laughs> stop showing your pussy ass daughter <laughs> Scary films or films that are going to scare her. The thing that gets me, too, if you think about, like, modern movies nowadays and how good they are at making something scary, and but somebody's, like, any any current-day person, if you showed them Psycho, it wouldn't really scare them to the core. But if you showed no. anybody from back then any current-day, like, horror movie, it would scare them to the core. Uh, if you showed them anything from nowadays, they'd probably be have to be institutionalized. Because I mean, we pro- I mean, this stuff was scary as fuck back in the day. Yes. I can't even imagine what our movies now would like do to audiences back then. So, well, here's the deal: Psycho is not insanely scary for then. It was though. for then. It was, but even then, in real life today, let me tell you what I'm not gonna do. If I'm driving along a highway and I'm falling asleep and I'm super tired and I come across a hotel a motel in the middle of nowhere. I'm probably not <laughs> pulling over and sleeping there. Really? <laughs> probably not. Uh, not probably. if I'm by a myself. People, With you, completely a different. Lot of, a lot of people point out that in the movie, it's that highway patrolman's to blame for her dying because he's the one that scared her so bad into going. To, uh, he's the one that told her, it's like, you need to stay at a motel next time. And that's what she did. And that's what got her killed. So we can blame that highway patrolman for her dying oh. in a roundabout way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hitchcock uh, bought the rights to the novel anonymously from Block for only $9,000, and then he bought up as many copies of the novel as he could to keep the ending a secret. Oh, my God. 